I guess welcome to the first episode of the Read and Retire podcast. Dave. Hey, what's going on, guys? All right. Uh, my name is Lando, and like I just said, that's Dave. Um, I'm excited. Been trying to work on this for a while. We actually, you know, getting it, you know, just started. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Read and Retire is, um, Read and Retire is a financial education platform. Um, and we actually started off in January of 2020, and we started off as a book club. 2021. The pandemic definitely <laughs> definitely flew by, and we started four months ago in January of yeah, 2021. We've been on this for like a year and a half. It's only been a few months. But it's been a fun few months. Yeah. And we started with, as I mentioned, we started with the book club, um, really around this idea of just seeing if we could actually read our way to retirement. Um, you know, I've heard from many different people that if you read 70 books in any industry that you become an expert. And so we were always people who have taken our financial education seriously. And we kind of decided, hey, you know, why just go on the journey alone? If there's a way that we can bring our friends along the journey with us, that would be kind of cool. And so in January, we started off with the book club for Read and Retire. We read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad as, as our first book, like instant classic. Yeah, everybody loves that book. Uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, and we do it simple. We do it like a different chapter every week, uh, and we just break down that chapter, and we talk about the best wealth building principles from each author, and then uh, we discuss it as, as a group. Um, and then we moved on to our second book, um, Set for Life, um, and so by Scott Trench. Um, which is a phenomenal read too. And so uh, as we continue to look to kind of build on the different things that we talk about each week in each book, we thought what better way to do that and to help add some personality uh, to the work that we're doing by having a podcast where we can not only talk about some of the business issues that we discuss weekly, but we can also invite some guests who are experts in the fields that we're discussing and who can talk about the wealth building principles that we review to help add to the kind of work that we're trying to do and help build generational wealth and help minorities to achieve financial freedom. I'm trying to make it so everybody gets, you know, everybody gets rich. So you and your friends can actually go and enjoy yourselves instead of um, just you. And then, you know, just posting on Instagram and having everybody else just look at you uh, yeah. enviously. So um, why don't we just, you know, introduce uh, ourselves? Um, if you want, you go first, and I'll just go right afterwards. No, that sounds good. Uh, and so as Orlando said in his uh, gracious introduction, my name is Dave Simpson, uh, and I am originally from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we're both originally from Brooklyn, New York, actually, the Bushwick area. Um, shout out to Brooklyn. Uh, shout out to New York City and the whole tri-state area, actually. Um, and... Uh, I actually went to college in Boston, which is a little bit different, but it was the first time I actually went to Massachusetts. I went to Boston College, shout out uh, to Massachusetts um, and the New England area. And there I studied uh, marketing and economics. And when I was coming out of school, I was like, you know what? I spent all this time studying marketing. I got to get into the industry. And so I started off my uh, professional career, if you will, in advertising. Um, and I worked at this large ad agency in Midtown, New York. Uh, and then um, about two years in, as I was continuing to help make some ads for some of the biggest brands um, in the consumer package space, so think about things like paper towel or dish soap, 
Uh-huh. Don't humble brag, Dave. Th- let them know. Let them know exactly. Uh-huh. We'll we'll save that for another date and time. What what brands those were, but um, but no. Uh, as I got to like my two year mark, I really started to think about what impact I wanted to have on the world, and I was kind of like, man, like I I don't want to make sure I don't want to spend all my time in in this conference room, kind of just moving the needle for a brand that's already making you know billions of dollars in revenue. And so from there, I shifted into the nonprofit space. And that's where I'm at now. And so I work at a nonprofit that helps to organize volunteer opportunities for companies who are looking to get engaged in the community. Um, and the beautiful thing about working at a nonprofit, uh, for anybody who's worked at a nonprofit, is uh, a lot of times you get to see so many different social issue areas. And for me, uh, the social issue area that always was rising to the top in the work that I was doing was financial education, specifically when it came to the lack of financial knowledge that I was seeing in the community members that I was working with on a day-to-day basis and so I said nah man I got to find a way to get into this industry so that I can help people because I feel like I'm good with my finances I am good at managing my money I'm good at savings I I know um, a lot of the wealth building principles that um, we weren't really taught when we were growing up so how can I find a way to pass that down to different people and to do it in an easy way um, and to do it um, not really looking for anything in return, just just doing it just to just to be a blessing. And so that's how Read and Retire, the idea kind of started from the work that I do. So if you guys don't know by now, Dave is actually a sweetheart. That was that was that was amazing, Dave. Um, he's really in it to try and help everybody um, else out. Me personally, I want to help people as much as I can, but I'm just not trying to be broke. Because I, I have a different um, sort of like a story from Dave. Um, so I've been working since I've been like 16, maybe 15, I, I think, mm-hmm. maybe right legally. And <laughs> I'm like 25 now. I don't really have much to show for it. I did go to school, but um, I stayed in um, New York. So I went to Hunter, but um, I didn't really um, have anything I wanted to do. So now after school, I'm still stuck at a minimum wage job. But I'm starting to realize that even if you're in that position, and it's not a position you should try and be in, you can also use that to actually build wealth you can make a minimum wage you can make minimum wage salary and you can still end up in a position where you're you know wealthier than most people and doing better and financially free so i guess the purpose of this is just try to help out uh for me is to help out as many people in my position so that we can not only you know do uh better what we have but also you know do better just in general make more money eventually so that we can you know retire by reading, I guess, right? Yeah. Knowledge is power. We Always. talk about that all the time. Always. So um, I think we went over, like, um, what is it and uh, what we do. So what? why do you think financial education is important? What do you think? Yeah. So I, I would start off by saying, like, financial education is huge just because it's something that our community isn't taught. A lot of the problems that we have in our community, when you think about poverty, food insecurity, lack of access to, like, proper housing, um, when you think about like the lack of some basic human rights, basic essentials, a lot of that comes because we don't really have the funds to pick ourselves out of that situation. And so I think m- the lack of money or the lack of access to capital is a big reason for a lot of the problems that we see in like the black community and other minority communities. Um, and in addition to that, um, I also feel like it's something that uh, many people don't know. And so I feel like because we don't have money and because we don't have this knowledge, I feel like by empowering people to become more financially stable and encourage them to uh, get off to a better start than the ancestors that came before us had, uh, it's an empowering way to change generational cycles. And so um, 
we often talk about like just the different gaps that we see in society and for when it comes to wealth at least you know there's just such broad gaps in wealth when it comes to people from different backgrounds and so for me i think financial education is important just because it's the ultimate equalizer and opportunity when it comes to being able to fund the dreams of those who come beyond you um and so that's kind of why like i do this work and why i think it's super important i literally couldn't have said it uh i think better than that um i think you're 100 percent right it's just um while we try to like maybe fight the things that are like institutionalized and are you know just bring this down you know as a whole um we can do this and build ourselves up so that we're not in a so even when the institutionalized um i guess forces come at you um you're in a better position to fight them you know it's like um you can't be a young suspicious black male in an affluent black community you're just black. You're just a male, really. You're just a kid. So I think that's why it's important to maybe build ourselves up so we end up in positions where we don't have, where, where the opportunity of getting into those sorts of problems don't really come up. That's no, that's true, and I think that that's huge because uh, you kind of mentioned it, Lando, when you talk about some of the institutional stuff or challenges, but. Like in the past, like our ancestors, you know, there was like things like redlining where people couldn't get access to loans to buy houses in certain districts. There was segregation. There was Jim Crow laws. You know, there was um, bias um, across the board in so many different uh, institutions. And they're still there today with education and other and even like obviously like police brutality and all of these other areas. But back then there was actually written into law that these kind of things were allowed and today so it's a, it's okay it's re understandable why like our ancestors might not have had access to this knowledge but today while we're still dealing with some of those challenges institutionally i think that we have to find a way to be able to leverage the education that we have to try and empower us as well because facts yeah because um we've elected people we voted, we elected people who are hopefully running on that change and trying to fight on our behalf to help move the needle in certain ways to upend some of those systemic problems. But on the flip side, we have to do what we can control. And the only thing we can control, if you're not in politics, if you're not a politician, um, once you voted in your politicians, I think what you can control is how you act in yeah. your personal finances. Just, uh, you got to take care of you and your household. And if you get that done while the other people get at work, you know, on like, the you know, the bigger picture, then I think we'll all be um, we'll be set. Yep. We'll be doing better. So, um, so I guess, I mean, that that's pretty much covers, like, the goals of, like, the mm -hmm. podcast. So, um, so if anybody's, like, interested in, like, you know, finding out about um, the book club that we do, we release, we do every Thursday mm -hmm. at 8. Um, we'll put the details down and, like, wherever the links go, probably somewhere down below until, you know, as long <laughs> until I figure out exactly how to do that. That's probably where we'll put it or maybe up there somewhere. We'll put it somewhere in space. But um, I think we should just probably just get right into it, Dave. We'd probably just talk about um, what I guess the first episode is all about. It's all about uh, budgeting and uh, savings, the one-on-ones of each, and um, how it can differ from person to person, but you can actually make it work based on who you are as opposed to trying to f you know fit a certain model that's just not you. No, yep, 100%. And this episode is important because... When we talk about building wealth, I think the first thing that people always get into is like a lot of tactics. Like people want to know like a lot of philosophies, a lot of principles, but there are some prerequisites. Like if you ever take a class in college, I know we said we both went to college and, yeah. you know, school is school. <laughs> but if you're ever taking a class, sometimes there's prerequisites. Like there are things that you need to make sure that you're doing before you jump into pain in the ass. Before you jump into the class. <laughs> One of those things is before you try and build wealth, you at a very deep level need to understand budgeting and savings how to do it effectively 
what it is and how it is that you approach it. Because once you have those two things down, then like the sky is the limit with how you use the money that you get from those savings. Yeah. I mean, it, it, well. it was in one of our recent, um, what was it, one of our recent um, sessions that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the author, um, For Set for Life, um, Trench, he just says basically that um, your return on most investments will not be greater than you just saving more money. Like you just finding a way to save more money and like the things that are already like causing you to spend a lot will probably be a greater return than actually, you know, investment. Because if you if you could save ten thousand dollars, it's kind of hard to make ten thousand dollars from just your investments. But if you could just save that, you know, it's just a lot easier. All right. So uh, budgeting, I guess my definition of budgeting is essentially um, knowing exactly where all your dollars are going. All right. Just knowing like the path that they're taking and making and setting them on that path, you know. Not just, oh, this is going to that, this is going to this, but being intentional with where your money's going and making sure that, you know, it's actually getting there. So that's budgeting for me, but how, how would you describe it? I, w- I would describe it the same. Budgeting is basically allocating, figuring out how you want to allocate your money every month. Some of your um, money is going to be allocated to things that are fixed, um, some things, some expenses that you have every month. Some of your uh, money is going to be allocated to things that are... Uh, variable or or that are flexible that you can spend money on at your own discretion budgeting essentially says where is my alloc where am i allocating my money every month and how that translates into actually figuring out where my spend is going uh i guess um the first thing that i want to talk about with budgeting at least is, is why you think it's important like why do you think when it comes to like actually figuring out where your money's allocated why that might be something that's required uh sure i mean you know what the thing about money is that kind of sucks it really does suck is that we really like we just aren't good as like you know people just aren't good at like make at knowing exactly where every single one of their dollars goes so if you don't really pay attention money literally just disappears like it's very easy and if you're not budgeting it's just gonna go poof and you won't even notice it and the next thing you know you spent 400 more dollars than you plan to in a week or in a month and that's just because you haven't been paying attention on where it goes. It's just, unfortunately, most of us just aren't equipped with sort of like, I guess, brain power to actually know where all our dollars go. So I think budgeting is a way to just circumvent that, um, I guess, that, that weakness in the human software. Just making sure that we can um, actually just, I guess, we can take care of the weakness that we, I think we mostly inherently have. I agree. It still goes back to uh, to what you said with the intentionality. If you want to build wealth, that you got to understand budgeting is important because every dollar that you get is a dollar that needs to work for you, and it's a dollar that has to be intentionally spent and put to work. And so, if you're not mapping out where your money is going, then how are you going to have your money work for you? Um, which is one, which is rule number one in Rich Dad Poor Dad, the book that we covered. The rich don't work for money; they have money work for them. If you're not budgeting your money, how are you going to make sure that you're effectively having your dollars work for you in the best way possible? Um, and so I think that's kind of where, where I sit on it. Yeah. I mean, you can't, if you, if you don't know where your money's going to go, <laughs> then you're pretty much screwed just from the beginning. Yep. I mean, yeah, you fucking, I've been working since what, 16. I know where any of those dollars for like 10 years. I didn't, I didn't, I had no clue where any of my dollars went until like, I guess fairly recently when I've been, you know, actually keeping track of all my dollars and I've realized it was just mostly food. Mm-hmm. I spent most of the wealth that I built over 10 years on just food. And I think that's a lot of people. So yeah, that's just, that's just part of it you know which is how, how do you like how do you budget because i know you're a bit more uh attention to detail than i am mm-hmm. i guess so how, how would you budget like on a like week to week month to month basis how do you do it 
Yeah, so budgeting for me, um, I'm definitely a more visual person, like you said. I'm old school too. I use a, I use a spreadsheet. So I just kind of say, okay, this is how much money I make every month. And I kind of just put it in a spreadsheet and I say, okay, this is how much money I make. And then I kind of take a, 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 a top-down approach. I say, okay, well, how much of my cost is going where? So, okay, I have this much for rent, this much for food that I allocate, this much for insurance, this much for transportation, et cetera, et cetera. And once I have all my costs list down, I kind of have a, a base number that I say, okay, this is kind of how much money I have left over. And then um, we'll jump into this in a few minutes, but then I also make sure to include a piece for savings too because I, I pay myself, I try to pay myself first. So I try to make sure that like if savings is, is an expense that I document and then I just budget from there with some things that are fixed that I know like, you know, my Spotify account is gonna is fixed. It's always gonna be deducted. Rent always is gonna happen. But variable, you know, restaurants, those kind of things are variable expenses. I make a line item for them, but I try and keep them, you know, around a certain range because they're not fixed they will change depending on you know how i look at things but i use a spreadsheet i can't get over the fact that you just called um a spreadsheet old school yeah, he called excel old school yeah it's crazy because <laughs> i think that there's so many tools now and there's so many innovative ways to do things that i feel like excel if something is like 10 or 20 years old it's like david there's a lot of people our age that don't know how to use excel I still that's crazy. Excel cutting edge. That should be mandatory. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know how people are getting a job today these days without knowing how to use Microsoft Office. All right, that's yeah. that's not a blow you had to give. Um, oh my bad. It's um, <laughs> not a blow you had to give to people. Oh my bad. <laughs> but I mean, like we always say, knowledge is power, and it's a very helpful tool if you've never used it before. So I would I would I would encourage you all to to learn how to how to use Microsoft Office. It, it's 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 a powerful vehicle. All right. Um, if you didn't feel too offended, um, <laughs> the way I budget is a bit different. Um, I also account for like anything that's fixed, like um, you know, any bills, like you know, just like gas, rent, whatever. And then apart from that, um, I send about maybe uh, I think it's uh, I don't make much, so two hundred a week um goes to like a separate savings account. I call it a TBD fund, so to be determined. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to be doing with that money. It could be. Part of it could be just for fun, you know, shits and giggles. The other part could be for um, maybe I'm going to fund like an investment or something. But um, I usually throw like maybe 200 of my weekly paycheck into that. And then the rest is just all for investments. I don't really spend much money. So anything else that I have on top, you know, apart from the 200 and then apart from the bills that I pay goes straight to investments. So it could be stocks. Maybe I'm doing a stock play or maybe um, maybe I want to buy like maybe a piece of real estate in the future. So if that's the case, then I'll just transfer that over. But um, otherwise, it stays in my checking account and it's probably just going straight into like maybe investments. Okay, so I guess that's basically it. So Dave's a bit more attention to detail. I'm a bit more um, just go with the flow for the most part. I think um, also along that point, I think um, when it comes to a budget, there's a few key things to keep in mind, I think, at a very high level. I think um, from the book, um, Set for Life, we kind of discussed the key places that people spend money and uh, why it's important to know those areas. Um, when it comes to budgeting, uh Human beings spend most of their money on uh, these things. Number one is housing. Uh, number two is transportation. Number three is food. Um, and number four is insurance. Um, and so it's important to know those things because if you know where you're spending most of your money, it helps you be able to budget accordingly. 
those are what we call once again those fixed costs and so if you are one of those people who are approaching budgeting regardless of if you use kind of orlando's like automatic method where it's kind of like okay i have these bills that i know are coming up and i have these accounts that i need to send money to just to make sure i can save that's great and if you or if you're somebody like me who does more of a spreadsheet approach we kind of list things down and says this is what costs what this is what costs this and you have a total that's fine too but i think at a very high level what you're going to want to look for when you're budgeting for yourself is really two things like really i think for me it's the fixed cost what are those things that won't change every month then what are those things that bring you joy and happiness that are that that you know are are worthwhile investing in for yourself for your own happiness and your peace of mind and then also thirdly those things that you know at least for you they're items that they're not fixed they do bring you joy but you can also reel back on them, but it's important to save a piece of the budget for them. So those are things maybe like eating out, you know, going to the movies, maybe uh, shopping, those kind of things. You know, you want to make sure you just bracket and put parameters around those so that you can also account for some of those things that truly bring you joy. Maybe like, a, you know, having Starbucks every morning or something like that. While also, this is probably or the most important part. Yeah, or a frap. Or yep. a frap. Right. McDonald's. I think that's a drink. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to McDonald's, I think. Frappuccinos is McDonald's. Um, uh, I think um, the most important piece of a budget that I would keep in mind is definitely the savings part. Um, I talked about this earlier where it's like you want to make sure that you're paying yourself first. Um, And by paying yourself first, that means before you pay everybody else, before you pay, you know, Uncle Sam, you're paying Uncle Sam through taxes, you're paying the bank through your mortgage. Um, you know, before you pay them, make sure you put some money aside for yourself to save towards your goals, like what you mentioned, Lando, whether that's the house, um, some investment plays, whatever it is, that's important. Most people don't save um and budget accordingly because um they don't they're not intentional with it. So say that. I mean that's that's true. Here we like Dave said, we don't um we don't like to skimp out on things that um make you human, the things that you enjoy doing just because it's not a really good life to live because if you just have no fun then it's not it's gonna really be pointless. But what's important is if you like shopping and you like, you know, eating out, you're probably not eating out as much. And maybe you're not having a shopping spree every week and you're definitely not getting the guac because (laughs) avocados are very cheap. There's no need. (laughs) There's no need to get avocado toast. Dave knows I hate the idea. It's too much money. Yeah. You're not a fan of putting avocado on bread for $13. For $13. That's crazy. How many avocados can you get for $13, Dave? (laughs) But... Every now and then, like I said, it's important to do to take those things that you enjoy and be able to eat them. But just make sure you're budgeting accordingly. Make sure that that time out with friends or that restaurant, uh, you know, dinner date or that trip that you plan is affordable and that is done well. Um, and when it comes to budgeting, I think before we jump into savings, kind of like a one on one on savings as you wrap up budgeting, speaking of like, you know, making sure things are mapped out in advance. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh the trip that we planned to Mexico. Ooh, that's a, that was a nice, smooth transition, Dave. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, if you guys can tell, um, I don't know if you guys can notice, I am wearing this hat. This is a hat I wear only when I'm on vacations to warm places. I got it in Little Havana. 2019. 2019. Miami. So um, That was legendary. We can't, you can't tell. Actually, we are in uh, Mexico right now. We're in Cancun. We're in Playa del Calmen. That's a little... Dominican Um, poppy. Yeah, you already know. But um, yeah, so we're in Playa right now, and um, we were going to do an angle of the outside, but uh, the table was too long. So (laughs) just take the hat. So we saved for this trip. um, When did you, when we start? Uh, Six months, I think. Yeah, about uh, six Six months months. ago. 
And, you know, by all means, it's not like a, I wouldn't call it a cheap trip. It's like four days. Um, mm-hmm. What was the, what was the? Um, it was, uh, yeah, it's four days. Um, uh, it's four, it's five days, four nights. Um, and uh, we probably, to be honest, we probably spent, when everything was all said and done, probably spent about like 800 bucks a piece yeah. on both flights and Air, and the airbnb so that's like maybe like you know 400 on like direct round trip flights yeah. from new york city to uh um mexico and then probably a l- hundred a night or less than a hundred site a hundred a night just about on on per room so yeah. so you know i make minimum wage this shit is really expensive so the way to actually um s- you know just not um I guess screw yourself over and just put like a whole trip on a credit card um, is to budget and plan accordingly. So think of a period of six months in about six months, you have what, 26 weeks. So if you wanted to save a thousand dollars over a period of 26 weeks, I believe if my math is correct, it's about $40 a week. Mm-hmm. Let me probably check. Um, should we, should we check the math? Well, 40 times 20. When we're talking about vacations, especially if you don't make a lot of money like me, you have to take this long approach because otherwise you get into um, what uh, a lot of people actually do. They end up just buying, you know, just paying for a trip um, on a credit card of money they don't have and they set themselves back probably the same amount of time it took us to save for this trip. They set themselves back maybe six months instead of just having saved the money. And um, only we only recommend doing this and maybe saving this way if you already have the rest of your finances set up. Correct. So you can start saving and you're not, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. So um And just to be and just to be clear what I think you mean by like Orlando, like having your rest of your finances set up, that means you have an like what we talk about like in, in our book club, having an emergency fund. You have an emergency fund of, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So if anything happens, you have that money to go. You don't really have too much bad debt. So there's no high debt that you have to pay off with high interest rates that's mm-hmm. re- negatively affecting your credit card and you have money left over after your investments that you have can put towards something that makes you happy. Exactly. So once you have all those things, you can take this approach. And I know a lot of people don't like this because what it does, you know what the problem is? It r- ruins the spontaneity of it. You know, like, oh, let's just go here, swipe the card and, you know, it's nice. But what you can do instead of planning out exactly the place you want to go to, you can start just saving the money. So that maybe six months from now you get like a desire to go somewhere. You get some wanderlust and you want to just travel. You have the money there. So like in the $200, like for example, that I mentioned earlier that I put into my other savings account, I usually have like maybe 50 of those are probably dollars that I'm 100% willing to spend on anything. So if you think about that over a long period of time, you can go on two trips a year, two pretty expensive trips a year. And all you have to do is save maybe 40 bucks a week. Maybe 20 bucks a week. There's 52 weeks in a year. It's $1,000. And if you do it, you know, you just need to be able to take the long-term view of it. I agree. That's powerful. And you being somebody who uh, actually makes minimum wage. That's right. And uh, it's, it's, you're somebody who's actually doing it. But the thing is, we always talked about delayed gratification. People don't really want to wait six months all the time to be able to go on vacation. Shit, all I know is Mexico is very nice. All right? <laughs> it's very nice. Even though it's May, it's nice in May, and it's it probably would have been just as nice in January if we went in January. But it's nice in May. It's nice in May too. So <laughs> <laughs> you could just you can wait and still enjoy yourself. Just you just have to like you know be able to delay gratification. But that's the whole wealth game, just in general. That's a that's fact. Every game. That's a fact. Everything that's boring, no one wants to do. That's just a fact. 
um and um i think this is also dope because like um it gives you like us all both an opportunity you know this is only like my second time coming to mexico this is your first so it it just provides an opportunity for us to actually like i said going back to not skimping on the things that we enjoy we we enjoy this stuff and i think to top it all off um the beautiful thing about it is uh at the end of the day this is still a business play um yes this is a business trip um you know for anybody from our favorite agency in the world the irs <laughs> this is a business trip we are here conducting work so it's it's nice to be able to um, integrate your business with um, maybe just a little bit of fun when you're outside of meetings and, you know, not editing and stuff like that. Yeah. And so um, that's another thing. We made sure that um, this was a business trip and we made sure that we had a, you know, our accountant uh, work with us to make sure that um, the content that we're creating on this trip, we can actually map out to show you guys how it is that you can not only travel affordably, but how we can work and still be able to uh, be in a great place experience a different culture all while helping to teach financial literacy at the same time and at the end of the, the year like this is going to be a tax write-off for us yeah hopefully i mean maybe not the whole thing but a decent chunk of it because we were working for a decent chunk of the time here just you know working in a nice place where it's warm it's it's different right when you're working in a nice place where it's warm and you have a view it's very different all right so don't don't, don't feel bad if you're going on a business trip as opposed to a vacation because when the sunlight hits you in your office, it's definitely different. Just to go over it again, all right, so there's three things you need to have in order before you actually um, can go on a, um, or before you probably should, you know, before you probably can start saving for a vacation. So you have to have an emergency fund. It can be, um, what would you say a good number is uh, anywhere from like maybe, I think starting at 1000 is probably decent. I like one to 2000 yeah. Yeah, an emergency fund, about maybe one to $2,000. You want to have... Um, minimal as minimal bad debt as possible so anything with like a high interest rate that's just cutting out of your money and you want to have you want to um make sure that you have like the you know the money that you're saving that uh you're still able to have it like in invested and it's not the money that you would you know put to work for you you want to have right so you're not dipping into investments to actually start funding your vacations you are actually just using the money that you didn't use for your investments money that's left over and you're taking a long-term view of this it's I mean, I mean, it depends on how much you make. But if you don't make money like I do, then you want to take uh, as long as possible. You can save for a year and go on a really nice trip at the end of the year. Or you can save for six months and then maybe go for two trips a year. Um, it's all up to you and what you, you can actually spare. But it is possible to not make a lot of money, but still build wealth and then also enjoy yourself. It Amen. just takes a lot of discipline. Amen. Yeah, yeah we, we're, ch- we're church now. Yeah, I couldn't say it. I was like, because <laughs> it's so true. And every there's a play behind everything. So it's just good to show people that we're actually doing it. Um, and, you know, we're just two, two um, you know, regular full-time employees. We both don't, you know, you make minimum wage. I make a little bit more than that, but nothing crazy. Come on, I make, Dave, I make like, the average. <laughs> I make, I, I, right, now, right now, I make, like, the average the average um median income for, like, a, a, I, an American. I, I appreciate so. you trying to make me feel better. So, <laughs> but, um... But um, speaking of um, mapping out the long-term view, I think it would be good to kind of jump to savings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you definitely should <laughs> jump yeah. into savings. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> um, so we went over, like, the, uh, why savings is important. You know, Facts. all the things that you can do in saving. You can um, prepare yourself for an emergency. Um, you can start investing, and then you can go on and have some fun. But um, how should people save? I think that's very important because a lot of time people just um, save. I think the probably the standard method is to just throw it into an account that's attached to their checking account. 
and they're making no money um, based off like the interest that the bank is giving you. So you're actually, if you keep that money in there long term, you're losing money because it's not beating inflation. What would you suggest, Dave, for people that are doing this method? This is probably the average method. This is how most people save their mm-hmm. money. They throw it into an account and they just wait and hope it grows. But it's mostly just like, it's like putting it under a mattress, you know, without fear of it catching fire, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I, I think uh, the best way for people to save is honestly starting with the budget. Paying yourself first. Figuring out how much it is that you have left over after you've done, you know, have your expenses and how much it is that you can actually put away. When it comes to saving, I think that um, the one way that works best for most people, you do this method a lot, but I think for most people it works, is make it automatic. Have an account that when you get paid, you have some money going to your checking and you immediately have some going to a savings account just so that you don't even, it, you don't even touch it. You just know it's going there. And that way it helps to kind of divide everything in your checking. When it comes to savings also, I think that the one thing that like people often – you know, talk about is just trying to figure out ways to increase their savings. And I think what we have to realize is that um, when it comes to at least savings to do it effectively, like it can't just be, um, you know, 10%. I think most people say like you should try and save 10% of your income. But I think that uh, in 2021, um, 10% is not enough. And we have to start getting to 20%, 30%, you know, even 40% if we can. Um, and to be willing to sacrifice those things that we need to do to get there, because the longer it takes you to get there, the longer it means that you won't be able to achieve financial freedom um, because you're not putting enough away every month. And so I think when it comes to saving effectively, I would say recognize that your savings has to be more than 10 percent. Recognize that you have to make sure that you pay yourself first and that you're being conscious and intentional about it. And then make sure that you're actually automating it so that it's simple. You don't even see it. Yeah, it's easy to say, you know, I'm going to save $200 a week and I'm just not going to spend it. But trust me, it's so much. It's 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 the easiest thing to do is just make it so you never had those 200 in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's gone somewhere else and then you can look and then use it in something. You can use it because there's always that, uh, I, I think, that brief period of time where you want to spend the money because you work so hard for it. You want to spend it. So I think once you are able to get over that, and it might just be the time that you have to transfer it over from the automatically, um, I mean the, the 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 savings account where it automatically gets transferred over to your check-ins account. In that moment of time, you might just get over that feeling of I have to spend it. So you want to just try and maybe curb those things that everybody feels. You know, I work hard for my money. I should spend it on this instead of actually investing it somewhere or saving it somewhere. And you're like a hundred percent correct on that ten percent thing because if you really think about it, the if you to save ten thousand dollars a year off just 10%, you'd have to make $100,000. And that's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> you'd have to, you have to save way more than that. Like if you can, especially when you're younger, when you don't have, um, when you're not in a position where you have people depending on you, you can save a lot more money just because you don't have those responsibilities. When you don't have kids, maybe you don't have a mortgage, maybe you don't have this or that. And it's just you, you know, um, single basically you can save a lot more money you can save a lot more without it necessarily bothering you and i think your 20s are probably the best time for you to save and build that wealth just because you have less responsibilities and you're able to take more risks agreed and for the people who are saying you know there's going to be a lot of people who say like you know i have a lot of you know i do have a lot of bills i can't afford it or i do have a kid and stuff that's where i think the paying yourself first comes in where it's like we're going we're still going on trips we're still buying designer we're still finding spaces to buy the things we love we have to find a way to save as well and i understand that everybody has their own constraints but i think something should be saved 100 percent. you start off very small exactly and build it up slowly 
That's a fact. Whether it's it doesn't have to, you know, even if it's not twenty percent, it could be ten. If it's not ten, it could be five. It could be something, but there should always be something there. Um, and I think that the reason why uh, that that's important is because, like I said, if you ever want to build wealth and you ever want to um, earn financial freedom, when it comes to the prerequisites to those kind of things, budgeting and savings is key. In order to, we talked about this um, this week uh in in set for life um the principles for investing you need capital to invest yeah 100% how are you going to build wealth if you don't have capital where does capital come from it comes from budgeting and saving effectively so that's why it's important yeah and um yeah yeah i mean yeah that's just mm-hmm. that's basically it you have to save money and even if it takes you maybe a year or two to even save something like $2,000, maybe you really are like living paycheck to paycheck. If you can make it work, now you have a $2,000 cushion. And that is amazing when you want to actually build something because now whatever happens, you're able to take some risks and just um, and use those $2,000 if it's an emergency or maybe just to pay some bills while you try and build your income. Because sometimes it's hard. You know, you have kids, um, you have responsibilities. You can't really just dump your responsibilities. You took them on. You have to you have to make sure you keep taking them on. So you have to um, just do what you can now. And then over time, even if it takes a, a longer than you know expected, you can actually um, then make the moves you can make to actually get yourself out of that financial situation. But it has to start with you saving something. Yeah. And it's also um, recognizing that if you're not saving enough, then you also might have to find yourself in a career field where you can scale your income. Um, because when it comes to budgeting and savings, like Orlando said, ten per- if you're trying to save 10%, if you make 100000 that's 10000 But how many of us are actually in career fields where we can get to there? I mean. Yeah, and so because you know that, for example, because you know even if you are um, – Saving at a high rate, the amount that you can save a year is but so much just because you're in a minim, you know a minimum wage situation, minimum wage job. Yeah. So we have to find ways to also figure out ways that we can scale our income if we want to learn how to save more effectively because what scaling your income does is it allows you an opportunity to uh, save more at a faster rate, which helps to build up your financial runway and allow you to retire a little bit earlier and to still build wealth at a faster pace because the goal is to try and maximize the time that we're able to spend with loved ones. We want to be free. Being rich is cool, but we really want to be free. Yeah, how do we? Work. Yeah, and so we want to be able to be free to choose what we want to do with our time, how we want to spend it, who we want to spend it with. And if you scale your income, you have a chance to do that a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. It's important to save. No, 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 100%. And I think um, for us, one of the best, one I mean, not one of the best, one of the um, biggest places where we tend to save money because we're in a very similar situation is in housing. Um, Trench talked about this in our in our book club. The author he mentioned that you know housing and transportation are the two biggest things that people spend their money on, with good reason because it's just you have to lay your, your your head at night somewhere and you have to get to your job so you can make the money to pay for that. And um, for us, we both live at home, so we don't really have those um, fixed housing costs that tend to just drain people's bank accounts and make it difficult for them to save. And that's something I would always suggest to like everybody, as long as you have a decent relationship with your family and you know, they would welcome you home. Um, maybe live at home, even if it's, you know, even if it seems a little embarrassing, maybe you feel like you're a little too old. If you have a good relationship with your parents and they're not strapped for cash, you can help out too. You can live at home and save a substantial amount of money and I will help you just, you know, put your best foot forward. I mean, if you, how much were you paying when you used to live? Um, oh yeah. I so last year, um, uh, I, like I said, I worked in 
in advertising for two years and then I actually moved back to Boston to switch into the nonprofit world and I used to live there and I used to pay rent and my rent every month was about 1300 bucks so I spent about 15,500 on rent which is you know compared to other people is not much in a year but that's extra 15.5k that I could have had in financial runway to pay down some student loans to which I have cleared off so shout out to me getting out of student loan debt um, which is huge. Um, Yeah, the student loan bubble is going to be, is crazy, like the amount of debt people are getting in these days. So I just thank God for allowing me an opportunity to be blessed to get out of it. um, It's the bubble that doesn't burst. Until, you know, (laughs) it's crazy. But, um, yeah, that's extra 15.5 thousand that I could have used for so many different things. But housing, um, and I think when you talked about, like, it kind of being one of those things that's embarrassing or, like, you know, you're not, if you or it looks a certain way, you know, if your parents welcome you home, I think it's important because if housing is our largest expense, if you stop spending that money, you just saved an additional what what's thirteen what's thirteen thousand maybe like thirty something thirty percent of my income, you know. So I can think about how to grow my income by thirty percent by fifteen thousand five hundred a year. I can just live at home and yeah. and saving that's became the biggest form of growth. Yeah. That's fifteen k. Um, by literally just moving back in doing something a simple change and the thing is what a lot of people talk about is like it is weird and stuff but quarantine was a perfect was a perfect situation where uh, what for a millennial since we're both millennials like what other time would it be socially acceptable to like live at home and to not pay rent (laughs) except um what what other time would it be socially acceptable to live at home and not pay rent except when uh you're in the middle of a pandemic and no one could go anywhere and it makes sense to uh live at home and to do that and you have a perfectly logical excuse why oh why are you living at home um, it's the pandemic yeah. that's two years worth of gains yeah, two years worth of saving keep it moving you know keep the so ball rolling keep 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 staying at home and plus you get to spend more time with your family members and when you're older you will appreciate that yeah but but like 100%. i said i think i do think that at it, at it, what it comes down to is just that delayed gratification like are you how long wh- or what are you willing to sacrifice to become financially free it's like, uh, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to make, to gain your savings and your budgeting so you have the funds to invest? Because everyone talks about building wealth, but it's like, you ha- you're going to have to sacrifice to get the money to do that most of the time. Yeah. For the average person, you're going to have to sacrifice something. Is that housing? Is it going to be f- going out? Is it trips? What is it? You got to choose yeah. that for yourself. And, you know, we don't know people's relationship with their parents. So if you hate your mom and dad, um, get a roommate. Yeah, that facts. is also cheaper. Your peace of I, mind. Yeah, yeah. Cause it can't overcome yeah, that. You, yeah, you never want to pay rent with your mental health. Yeah. So don't do that and just get a roommate. It might just be cheaper that way, you know, because um, that's when it's not worth it. You know, just sacrificing exactly. how you feel just to save money. You never want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to save money, um, try to look into a high yield savings account. I think that's very important. Yeah, that's a good gem to drop in. Um, yeah. What is a high yield savings account? Uh, so basically um, a high yield savings account is usually an online um Savings account is usually not attached to a bank. Some banks have them. I think it might. Yeah. I think it might be City. I don't know if it's City that has like online. Uh, Gold, Goldman has it. Yeah, JP Goldman Morgan. Sachs. Yeah, yeah. I have the I have the Marcus by Goldman. Yeah. Uh, Goldman Sachs. I like it. They put a little quote um, every time I log in. It's pretty inspirational. But um, yeah, so it's basically an online savings account. So they don't have a brick and mortar location, and because of that, they can pay a higher interest rate. Um, I think a few years ago it was at two percent APY, and now it's at 0.5. So it's going to fluctuate depending on how things are going. Mm-hmm. But it still leagues ahead of what a traditional bank is willing to offer you just because they don't have an actual um, location. And plus, it has the added benefit if you're one of the people that if you have issues spending money, when you transfer your money over to that account, 
most of the time you have to transfer it over before you can spend it. So it's not like there's an ATM directly linked to it and you can't just pull all your money out on like an impulse purchase because I'm an impulsive person. So I know exactly how that feels. And that delay, maybe one or two days, definitely helps a lot and helps you just get over and like think what what the long-term consequences of your decisions could be. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And in terms of a blueprint for that, I think we talked about this earlier, but to con- connect the dots to end off, when it comes to savings, like you want to have your savings really trunc- truncated like this. You want to have like a, that 1000 to 2000 is a as kind of like a, um emergency fund. Then you want to make sure that you have um the rest of your money that's saved in a high yield savings account or a good portion of it in a high yield savings account so it's earning interest. And then you want to make sure that you have um a couple thousand, you know, maybe one to 2000 also in just like, you know, your regular checking account just in case you need to withdraw cash quickly or anything like that. And so if you had $10,000, I would say, you know, maybe put one to 2000 as part of like a, um, a uh, safe emergency fund. You have one to 2000 It's kind of like, hey, if I need to invest or I need to save, that's kind of the reoccurring money that comes in after everything is done. You can invest and save with that. And then you put like, you know, the other uh, four to 6000 in a high yield savings account yeah. so that all of your dollars are doing the job. Yeah, they won't. It won't grow by a lot. Trust me, it'll be just a couple dollars. But shit, it's more than um, yep. you'd have in like a traditional bank where they're just loaning your money out. I mean, here at least, if they loan it out, they're gonna give you a little sign. sign. Exactly. So, and yeah. this is only temporary, right? Um, once you figure out what you want to do with the with the money that you have in those savings account, you go ahead and you deploy them to do their job. Yeah, to make you to grow even more. Because you're not going to get rich off a high yield savings account unless you put, <laughs> I mean, unless you're already rich. Cause yep. another way, you know, That's a fact. You throw a million dollars in there and just get like maybe $7,000 doing nothing. But other than that, you want to just use this as a temporary uh, place to put your money while you find other places that you want to invest. Yep. Awesome. And then, um, uh, I don't know if you wanted to jump into the final segment, which is just some business news. Yeah. Um, uh, and so um, I think the one that I want to start off with is actually um, so last week or a few weeks ago, we saw like there was a lot of claims about like rising inflation. And you mentioned inflation earlier, yeah. um, really, because like for two re- to f- to for two main reasons, one, a lot of the supplies that people are getting are increasing in value a lot. And that is causing manufacturers to charge prices to increase. Uh, when you get the end product in a store. And so for uh, a lot of manufacturers, like things like lumber and steel, those commodities are increasing for them. And so when they're producing products and they're putting it in stores, it's becoming a lot more expensive. So I think last week we were saying that like year over year, like the average prices between like from like last April to this April increased by 4.6%. So I think inflation is like one thing to definitely watch out for. Um, and to think about, um, and inflation, for those of you who don't know, is just like a general increase in prices. So that's looked at over time. Um, I guess my question um, that comes um, when you think about things like inflation and you think about things like uh, businesses opening up is kind of um, just what are you looking out for most in the economy as we begin to open up from COVID-19? Or what are you looking for, like, in certain, from a business standpoint? Um, I think... Um, you know, this week New York said that outdoor dining is at 100%. Um, they, CDC said no more mask mandate. Um, New York City said on um, May 31st, indoor dining will be at 100%. And then July 1st. Everything's open. 
Every, it's July everything. 1st. It's when it begins again. Everything. So just curious to see if there's anything you're, you're, you think it will be interesting you're looking forward to or looking at or paying attention to in the um, economy or business? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as things open up, I think there's going to be a large boom in um, a lot of the things that uh, were kind of like uh, directly influenced just by COVID and whatnot. Like, for example, I love movies. So my whole thing is movie theaters and whatnot. So um, movie theaters now they're open in New York. Um, they're open, but with a limited capacity and, you know, they're skipping seats and stuff. But um, I think because of the summer, because we're going to get a whole bunch of new blockbusters coming out and because the capacity increases, there's going to be a lot of just movie theater, movie theater dates, I guess, movie theater, just excursions, trips. So I think um, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. How about you? Uh, for me, the thing that I'm looking forward to most is the economy opens back up from a business standpoint. I really like not to I, I really am kind of interested in, like in, in Bitcoin and, and how that might come to use as the economy opens up. And and I think that uh, right now, um, you know, Bitcoin is a digital currency. Um, it's kind of set the world on fire. We we have some videos on Bitcoin that on um, what Bitcoin is. We have a one-on-one on it, actually, if you're not sure. So we'll drop that into the link below as well. Uh, Crypto Poppy is um, the guy in the video. You'll you'll hear from him soon. We'll probably be interviewing him. Yeah, we'll, we'll be interviewing him very soon. Um, Crypto Poppy, a.k.a. Rosh Joshi. He's one of my uh, good friends who um, was an investment banker and now works in the um, uh, venture capital space. And um, he does a great one-on-one in that video that we are, we'll drop in on on Bitcoin. But yeah, owns no crypto. Knows all about crypto. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just interesting to hear different philosophies on it. But I think um, right now, like, there's no real use for the digital currency. And I think... Except uh, to trade it. Exce- yeah, except yeah, as a... Day know, trading it. As a medium of exchange. Um, and I think for certain, for, for things like Bitcoin, there isn't as strong of a use case for it. For other uh, cryptocurrencies, there is. But I'm just interested to see how that is going to continue to shape, take shape as the economy opens up. Um, and then when it comes to specific sectors, I think I'm interested a lot in two of them. One is the nightlife sector and what that looks like and how that will change and what that can mean for people. And then the entertainment space with, with concerts and venues and um how the how people will like what the new normal will look like and if there will be a new normal so i think the new normal is going to be the old normal i think it's going to go back to business as usual the businesses that unfortunately closed down during covid probably might not you know they won't be coming back because they couldn't um you know they couldn't hang on but the ones that did will probably see a huge boom and then bro the thing no one talks about the bit like online dating Online dating. Online dating. Oh my god. I think god. first online dating picked up, I think, during COVID. I think it did. I don't I have no I, I think so too. That, and I have to I look really at it, but um match, match. They the company match, they own almost every single dating platform except Bumble. Yes. Match owns like match.com, they own Hinge, they own Tinder. Everything. It's a conglomerate. They're publicly traded too. I don't even know if people people knew that, but that's something to, yeah, the to match look, group. Yeah, to, to be on the lookout for, for their stock. I think that's something to be looked at, looking out for. I don't. I think. And I, I realize I just want to use it to like maybe find love instead of trying to make money off of it. Or you can do both. Bro. It was too volatile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I definitely gotta look up look up their chart. But that that's what no one's really talking about. But this this summer this summer is gonna be a hot. Um and uh hot, you know yeah the summer's yeah hot girl hot boy hot investor I think. <laughs> 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 I think people just you know be careful out there if you're gonna be in the in in, in the streets and and just don't spend so much money. 
when you're out there dating. You know, looking for love is important, but um, not at the expense of your budget. All right, budget for these things. If you're going to have a hot girl summer, budget for your hot girl summer. We're in May. Hot girl summer in New York probably starts maybe July. You got two months. How much do you think they got to save? What's that, 60 days? Ooh. Wait, not even. Wait, no, at the end of May. That's like 30 days. So if you want to have a real hot girl summer, maybe we're looking at maybe uh, $30, maybe $40 a day. Yeah, depends on uh, depends on what kind of it depends on what's your city. This is true. This is true. And what the what the vibe what the vibes are if you if you out here in New York, it might be it might be a little bit of a big ticket. You got to think about that with your finances. We will do an episode on dating and finances though. Oh, 100 percent for sure. Yep, and I'll so. teach you guys how I've avoided paying <laughs> on several dates. Um, I am single, but my pockets have thanked me. So we'll go over they, all that stuff. Yep. When you've dated more than me, I've. You know, my go-to is just walk, a walk and then maybe a coffee. It's always a good first date. Yeah, ten dollars. Investment, high involvement. Ten dollars. We love it. Um, and and then um, the final thing that I think I want to talk about just from business news, just because I'm a a big NBA fan, is um a little bit of the NBA business. So uh, recently, um, the they had the first round of playing games, and so for those who might not know, essentially, uh, now there's not a standard eight game eight game uh or eight team uh you know conference playoff matchups it's essentially you have the top eight teams uh and then the seventh and eighth seed the f- only the top six will move forward in the playoffs the seventh and the eighth seed will face each other and the winner gets the seventh seed and then the ninth and the tenth seed actually get to play each other and the winner gets to play the loser of the seven eight matchup and the winner then takes the eighth seed everybody go in there Anybody like it's anybody. first through the tenth have an opportunity to actually get into the playoffs, which is the first time. But they really did it from a business standpoint to try and attract viewers because they wanted to make it more exciting. Oh, so yeah. those those freaking um, I'm, I don't even watch basketball, but I know those those all star teams they call in regular NBA teams are kind of ridiculous now. Yeah, so I think it's crazy because you had some you had a season like this where um the Lakers. You know, they obviously have LeBron James, Anthony Davis. They're still the favorite to to win the championship for the most part. And because of some injuries, they're actually in the seventh seed. Or, you know, normally you'd be like, okay, well, the seventh seed means that you're actually in the playoffs. Yeah. But not this year. Yeah, you could lose it all. Yeah, and so I thought it was interesting because they played the Golden State Warriors in the first playoff game, first playoff matchup or the elimination game to see who actually gets into the playoffs, which we can talk about it from a player standpoint, which seems kind of unfair that we retire sports podcast coming soon. Yeah, coming soon. But, you know, if we play 82 games, we've seen who the best teams are. We don't need to play a playing game to determine it, but that's neither here nor there. From a business standpoint, though, uh, Lakers Warrior game, 5.6 million viewers uh, who watched that game, uh, and it topped off at 6.1 million most viewers in NBA history since 2019. So it's been two years since a game on ESPN has been streamed that So much. like right before quarantine or like at the beginning? Of uh, Western Conference. So June. So I would say, I would wow. say Western Conference uh, finals. So before. let's say May. Wow. May 2019. So almost two, almost two years. It's been two full years. And it's the highest they've ever done. And I think it's probably going to go higher just because now, you know, you can actually go to games. Yeah. Quarantine's picking up, so this is probably uh, this is smart as hell. I don't know yeah. basketball, but this is genius. Yeah, and I think it's crazy because they know that they like when it comes to like the fans, they know that the fans will not. This was to me, this was all prioritized prioritization of fans. It was like we know the fans will not be in stadiums. 
we know they because of COVID they don't have that same excitement as going to an in-person game. And then it's just kind of cool that they actually were able to uh, find a way to create an opportunity to excite fans just based on television and changing this entire script. So that's been very fascinating to me. And I think that I'm just interested to see how this continues to affect the fans because the fans have a lot of excitement that they're now drawing from and drawing to. But at the same time, I think it's very interesting because it's a little unfair for the players who have played 82 games and now they have another game before they get to actually start their first round. So it should be interesting. But we see that the viewership is up, which means all that matters is the numbers. Add revenue. That's all that matters. To it's, all, it's all about the numbers. If they're not making money with like uh, ticket sales, um, views, and like ad revenue, like you said, then it's pointless. Yeah. So it's good to it's good to it's very interesting to see this coming, but. I feel like the NBA and other sports are just moving into a, a, a fan-centric world. I think the the other day I posted an article in our um, Facebook group, our Reader Retire Facebook group, about the um, like a few weeks ago about the um, Las Vegas Raiders opening up a nightclub in the end zone um, of their um, of their stadium. So we're just seeing people really prioritize the consumer. I think in this day and age, and straight trying to give them experiences, even as fans. Yeah, and I think this is something crazy. that's gonna what's gonna happen before and i think just because of covid it exactly. just accelerated it because you know they realized how much money they probably lost because of you know fans are just you know just essentially the people they realized how much of their money was just from like ordinary fans and they want to just i guess maybe make up for it and then just shift towards that because that's where it is it's all it's always been in the people yeah the people rule stuff but on the flip side i think um not to kind of like wrap things up in that way but i think given the work that I do in the community, I think it's also going to be interesting to see how they tie what they're doing to give fans experiences to actually start moving the community in a way to give the community experiences because um, COVID-19, I think people need that interaction and that level of connection more than ever. So if we're done to talk about giving people experiences, I think it'll also be interesting to see how their dollars continue to flow into these marginalized communities and what those do because most the, mo- the NBA is mostly black. So um, it'll Yeah, be we go see. We go see. We go see. Yeah. We don't see. Um, so yeah, I think that's that pretty much just covers like the first um, episode. If you guys watched, listened, or um, um, if you if you guys just liked um, the video, we appreciate it all. Um, we'll continue to try and you know just drop these. Um, we'll have maybe an interview, probably probably just maybe one interview more while we're in Mexico here, and then we'll see if we can continue to drop these maybe on a biweekly basis. Absolutely. Um, if there's a demand, we'll drop more. But uh, thank you for rocking with us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Um, without you, there is no us. So thank you so much. Um, and if you like this video, please, um, you know, tag a friend, reshare, follow us on Read and Retire, um, and just continue to help us keep the momentum going. But we're having fun. Like and subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. Please and thank you in advance. And right. be blessed. <laughs>